I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. It's great to have you both, Jane Caro and Polly Dunning, um, a dynamic duo in, in the one family, as often happens with mothers and daughters. So you are both very welcome and thank you for saying yes to Thriving Matters Studio. Um, That's come out of an initiative through COVID for all things thriving that matter to us. So you are both very welcome. So coming off a a nice weekend, um, I believe we're getting some extra cold weather coming in. But I think our conversation tonight should warm the cockles of our hearts because it's all about education and what it is we've been noticing, what a big disruption to our usual way of educating our our students across Australia. Now, in Victoria at the moment, uh, we have another virtual um, delivery of education once again. Uh, So our thoughts and prayers and our wishes are out there for anyone in education, our students, our teachers, the leaders of our school communities, the parents, um, all of you, we are thinking of you. So uh, with all those good wishes, we can't but have a great conversation tonight. Um, Jane, I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro. For those of you that don't know about Jane Caro, I actually feel a little bit exhausted because you've managed to pack a punch throughout your life. You've had a great time, haven't you, in in all this. You're thriving, as we say. Um, Author, novelist, lecturer, mentor, social commentator, workshop facilitator, parent, and most importantly, parent of the beautiful Polly and and grandma as well. So uh, there's, there's a huge, a huge story in all of that. So you're very welcome, Jane. You're also uh, the recipient of two um, amazing awards. So a hearty congratulations for the Wakeley Award that you received and also your um, Order of Australia. Yes, that's correct. Now, Polly, you are also a writer, a teacher, speaker, student and a mum at at the present moment as well, bringing up your two beautiful children um, and you have had a great uh, career to date and no no doubt will continue to have a really depth career in what you're passionate about and, and education um, f- uh, focus is really strong there. You, um, you're also uh, a commentator, social commentator and speaker, facilitator. Now, I don't know about Jane. I know, Jane, you're writing a new book, but Polly, have you written as well? I know you've done chapters. Yeah, I'm not really interested in writing a book. Writing chapters, writing articles, really into that, super duper. Let's keep that going. But our whole book, (laughs) one's willing to ask me to give me an advance, sure, but I don't know what it'll be on. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Plus, you girls have got a great sense of humour as well as the passion that you feel for education. So you're very welcome on Striving Matters Studio. 
You know, when COVID started and our, and our lockdown, a lot of us lost um, work that we had already planned. And so one of the things that I have enjoyed is meeting and talking to people about, um, in this case, education in particular. And the, the aim of the, the latest series is to open up some conversation about how it might look differently to how it is already done now. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is really the well-being of the stakeholders in education. And you you play an important role because Polly, I know that at the moment you're um, you're back teaching, and so you you and then you're also going between that and, and bringing up your children. So you have a great bird's eye view um, to be able to observe what's happening when you go back into a school community and then back back out again, in and out. So we'll tap into some of your observations um, tonight. And I know Jane, you're, you'd be passionate about the education of your grandchildren. Yeah, and also all children across Australia. So we're going to be we looking at that as well. Yeah. So our first question, we're going to have a, a lens on, you know, do you think we've been prepared for what's happened during COVID? Um, how have we enabled our, our students? What I'd call the licorice all sorts, all shapes, sizes and colours. That's what I call my, my kids, the licorice all sorts. But for our students in all our schools um, across Australia, I mean, we have a, such a diversity of um, accessibility, of achievement, of motivation, even of love of learning, depending on how it is that they are learning and what's being provided for them. So let's open the conversation up around what are some of the key observations you've been making about what's happened during COVID and let's go from there. I think um, I think one of the things that's happened is it's, it's really brought Australia's particular lack of equity in our education system into stark relief. I think that it has become even clearer than it was before and for someone like me it was very clear but perhaps it was easier for people to focus on their own kids and their own kids situation but it's a bit harder now when you literally have the a situation where kids you know i think it's 150,000 students in australia have no home access to the internet and i know that in new south wales for example the department uh, tried to run around and get dongles to kids like that and do the best they could while uh, New South Wales schools were in lockdown. But it has really brought home the extraordinary gap between the resources that some Australian students have access to and the complete lack of mm. that other Australian students have access to. And unfortunately in this country, in my view, we use our education funding to increase the gaps between those kids who have and kids who have not. Whereas in some of the rest of the world, they're more sensible than we are. And we use that, they use that funding to decrease the gaps, which ought to be what we mm. do. Yeah, I, I mean, I obviously totally yeah. agree. <laughs> but I also think <laughs> one of the other things was that we already had a situation where we had um, teachers who were really stressed out, working extraordinarily long hours, worked some of the lo longest hours of teachers in the OECD, with some of the highest hours spent on admin, which isn't classroom stuff, which isn't the stuff that they love, um, and still run off their feet. 
you got some of the um, highest rates of anxiety and depression in um, teachers. They, they suffer at much higher rates uh, than the general population. Anxiety, I think it's half of Australian teachers uh, would meet the criteria for an anxiety disorder and one in five for depression. Plus, um, they have the higher rates of substance abuse, alcohol abuse, all of those things because they're so stressed out, they work, they're working so hard. Um, and I think when COVID hit, they're already doing a lot of administrative, administrative work. And then the classroom work, the part that they love was A, gone because they didn't get that bit that you love, the bit that keeps you there and keeps you loving your job. We love being in the classroom. We love being with our students. That's why we do it. We don't like it. Yeah particularly like everybody else in their job. Uh, we love those moments you have in the class and when they're gone or when they're virtual, which is kind of gone, it, I think, brought home how hard the work was. Also, the work did get harder. We had to learn stuff we didn't know how to do. Um, the department was very supportive, certainly like I worked for the Department of Education and they just pumped out the resources and pumped out yeah. training on how to do stuff. But we were already at breaking point and exhausted and the conversations that teachers were having changed from, oh, geez, I'm a bit tired, but look at this great thing I did in my class or look how much my kids are learning and this is so wonderful. The conversation just turned to I am broken and I'm so exhausted, I'm so tired, I can't do this anymore. Um, and a lot of them themselves had kids, school-age kids now at home, so they're trying to teach their kids. Um, and then teach their students and try desperately to make sure that their kids, because the other thing with, with um, thinking about, oh, how did, how did students go with COVID ed education and, and virtual education? It's all theoretical to everybody except mm. a classroom teacher and that student. To everybody else, it's theoretical. But to that teacher and that student, that teacher knows every one of their students and they know who's struggling and they know the help that kid needs or that they're gonna, it's going to take a lot of work, extra work to get it to them in this virtual way, calling parents, calling home, sending things home, trying to keep this kid engaged or extended. And I think sometimes when we talk about it, we talk about numbers or we talk about um, how did kids go as a whole, we forget that it was individual students and individual teachers that were feeling it and it is emotional. It was, a, it was, they were feeling it. And in Victoria, oh, and they're feeling it in Victoria right now, again. Again, yes, again. And I, I think you've tipped, um, you've really tapped it on the head there when you, it's, it was, it's very emotional and how we deal with our emotions under stress and then we have it layered on. That's significant self-management that uh, that takes a little bit of time to learn how to to do that. And when you are teaching kids that you know haven't got um, everything in place, they don't have access or they don't have the home life, there would have been households and there are households where um, some days it wouldn't be as at, at all smooth sailing at all. Um, and I know our teachers, it's interesting though, because depending on who you talk to, um, there's a variety of opinion, of course, ar around how we've coped. And somebody said to me recently, well, Carrie, 
you know, um, Aussies tend to take the, you know, we'll, we'll be right, mate, and we'll get on with it and, and don't share it. But I think it's richer when we actually say, listen, I want you just to tune in to the what's actually happening here. So how can I do it? I've been working with a leadership team in, uh, in, a, in a school recently and they said to me, it was hard going, but we we got together and we were able to to drop off a lot of things that weren't making any difference so we could concentrate on the kids. So you've already mentioned the, the admin roles and there's a lot of research that says we should be throwing a lot of that admin out the door so we can focus back on what teachers were trained for. And I think that's, you know, if we're talking about thriving in your chosen career, um, thriving doesn't mean that you're happy every day or you're buoyant every day. It means that you're able to cope with whatever the waves are, you know, as, as we go through things um, and, and look for, for what the, the, uh, where the light bulbs go on. And all the teacher wants is to know that their students have enjoyed what, what they've been, what's been prepared for them or investigated in their learning. So I think you're, um, I think you're on the money. Um, and you're in a key position to be observing um, your your co-teachers, your colleagues, um, and um, and hearing what they're saying. Um, One of the problems, the external um, stakeholders include the media mm -hmm. and um, politicians. Yep. Politicians react to the media, and we have a, a, a an era where control freakism is very very much. Um, the sort of de rigueur thing. Everybody wants to control everything and know what's going on and, you know, you've got to fill in all these forms and if you do something, you've got to account for it. You know, we're, we're right, we're, up, we're, we're, we're so far up the wazoo with accountability, um, people are exhausted by it. Accountability means is a blame-oriented measure. I'm opposed, interestingly enough, to accountability. I reckon that we should have responsibility which allows people to be creative, to respond in the moment, to do, to be doing something that looked like a great idea when it was a lesson plan, but then when you get in front of the classroom, in front of the, you know, virtual, whatever you're doing, or however you're teaching, it's not working. You do something that does work, um, and that's responsibility. Accountability says you've got to follow the rules mm. and you're held to account and you get your head cut off if it doesn't work. And this... Mm. We have so much admin and so much uh, form filling in, so much yep. accounting yep. for everything well, we I do. Well, I think as well accountability says that you have to show and account for how you've been doing your job and responsibility says you're responsible for doing your job and if it's not being done, then we'll talk about it. Yeah. Whereas yeah. it's a much better way. Just assume I'm doing my job. If you're unhappy with the job performance, great, let's have that conversation. Let's see how we can do it better. But don't make me sit there and check boxes to prove I'm doing a job that I'm doing. No, no. And look, I, I really, um, really hone in on the, this notion of responsibility as well because you, we want self-directed, self-motivated learners, whether we're at my age or whether we've got little tots or we're middle, middle kids. That's what we aim for, yeah? That that in curiosity, invest in you know investigative spirit, um, to to really find out what something, uh, how something goes together, make the mistakes, keep keep learning. So we we want that, and I think the accountability takes away 
um, from that. Raise the fund ah. and fun is how you learn. Now that the advertising industry, if there's one thing I know for sure, is if people are not having fun, and by that I mean you can be sobbing or moved or excited or um, you don't have to be laughing your head off, you know, you just have to be engaged and really absorbed in what's going on, then you will learn. If you are just going through the motions, bored to death but ticking the boxes, well, you might look like you're learning, but you're not. That's right. And, look, I, I, I was coming back to this. Um, sorry, Polly. <laughs> I was coming back to what Ma, uh, what Jane had said about no access to technology. And Maurizio's just written in. I've just shown his chat on the screen there for you. Um, you know, the kids, as Jane, haven't got any access to technology or a parent who can spend time, at, you know, to homeschool. It's it's a notion. Um uh, you know, we need to ensure there's parity to funding so access to learning resources is possible for all students. So thanks, Maurizio, for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Tracy, yeah, and Tracy, Tracy, as I she's agreed, responsive teaching is all about the students. Accountability teaching is all about the bureaucracy. Beautifully put, beautifully put. Yeah. I'll show hers. There you go. There's Tracy's, yeah. So um, Tra Tracy was one with... Uh, with was with Adam Voigt last week on um, on our second episode. Yeah, so good to, good to hear from you, Tracy. Um, and that's that's it. I was going to go back to what happened in the schools or in the communities that you know where the kids didn't ha don't have access to technology. What what how are they learning? How are the schools providing for that? I know where they pack packs uh, every morning. And they, the deputy principal, uh, his wife was the local school bus operator, just coincidentally, and it was a rural area. And so they would take these packs that were packed. They didn't just have the lessons for the day and all that kind of thing. They had food in them. They had, you know, uh, nutritious uh, food and uh, games and, you know, fun things and learning things. And they took them out, this pair, every single morning around the whole community to the kids that they knew did not have easy access to technology. I mean, I think schools did the most amazing things, particularly schools mm. in areas because they knew um, just how big a problem it was and they are already very, very uh, creative and resourceful about making sure their kids stay engaged. Um, in some ways, I think the greatest and the best teaching goes on in the most disadvantaged and often most despised schools. Oh. Good work. Yeah. Yes. That's right. So, Alex, thanks for your comment. You know, praise the responsive teachers and upskill the bureaucracies and leaders who make decisions who don't get what learning and teaching really is. And... You know, I've I've heard some amazing stories just like you, um, but you know, a lot of our schools are flat out doing their jobs, as well as self managing their their own families. And you know, crises don't stop, health issues don't stop. Um, it's it's very interesting that we just keep layering different things. And a lot of the schools who are doing these amazing jobs, um, they're too busy doing their job to comment. <laughs> Or, and, you know, if they work, so that's one of the reasons because my sister, uh, well, she was a principal of 
own school now. She's a kind of principal at large. Um, and uh, she would tell me right from the beginning as a classroom teacher about some of the things in always worked in disadvantaged schools, what she didn't have, what she couldn't do. And uh, I'd say to yeah. her, streets. And she'd say, well, we're gagged. We can't say anything. And I thought, well, I'm not gagged. So that's when I got active and started writing because I thought, well, this is something I can do. I can expose the inequalities and the fact that our most needy students don't get the resources they need. We're currently in a situation where no public school will be resourced to the minimum, minimum resource standard in the foreseeable future. That is outrageous. It is, it is. And when we, we look at, we often compare uh, where we sit on various tables. Um, I, I wish actually we didn't have the comparisons and someone would say, you know, perhaps I'm in Pollyanna land because that's what I've said. But for me, our responsibility from this generation um, with our policymakers is to use our tax money the best way possible. Um, and the best way possible is to educate our kids for a future that now is going to be looking very different to what the uh, to when we grew up, when we had access to, um, I grew up in a in a country town, and and ended up um, uh, in in a variety of um, educational um, streams actually. Uh, so quite a variety thing. But I I would have thought I had a fair fair education. Um, now I know in a lot of our regional areas that is not the case. For mm -hmm. um, education, I was. Um, and yeah, funding was distributed according to need um, and it was much fairer and more even and we didn't have the gaps that we have now um, and that has been created by government funding. Yeah. Um, I, need to, I need to put this last comment up here at the moment. St Stephen Colmer, name a more iconic duo. duo. I'll wait. <laughs> That's... That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, look, um, I, I think what we're talking about here is psychological safety for our teachers, for our for our staff, for for the teachers' families, for the students. So I'm wondering if you've got any thoughts on um, on that around what you've been noticing and observing around COVID and the time, and especially in Victoria when we've gone back gone back into another. Um, wave of, of remote learning. Hmm. Well, I think you kind of want with that. The, if you've got teachers who are suffering, who are struggling, who are stressed, then you don't get the best, their students don't get the best of them anymore. Um, hmm. Students suffer because students pick up anxiety and they pick up stress from the adults around them. That's what kids do. Um, there was great studies um, that came out only a few years ago where they actually uh, measured the cortisol levels of students in a classroom with a teacher who had anxiety and was very anxious at the time. And the yeah. stress, under a lot of stress, and uh, they saw that the cortisol levels of those students was much higher than baseline and then average other average students. So we certainly know that it's, it has an effect when the adults around them are stressed and anxious and an unprecedented pandemic that none of them have lived or worked in before is like probably going to do 
Um, and the other difficult thing, I think, uh, certainly for teachers is to try, you know, we're aware of that. And we're also sitting in our homes with our own families, trying so hard to not see, not let anyone see a sweat and not let anyone see that mm. we're hoping, certainly not our students. And that, mm. that can be very difficult. And we're very lucky that um, teachers are really good to each other, generally speaking. Um, and teachers really kind to each other and have that good community. And the other thing is that I found that I found parents to be just a wonderful support to teachers and certainly the department was supportive but like principals and and the whole staff really came together i am working with the learning support at the moment and um i know even all our slso's were still getting in can we help what can we do they were doing training courses uh, in their own time they were ringing student families and ringing students and saying how are you going How's your homework? Um, are you getting the classwork done? Do you have a computer? Calling parents, how's everything going? Uh, they were running, um, at my school they ran a uh, an online like help center and kids could just log into that Zoom meeting and get help <sighs> at any time during the school day and parents were using that. But when I spoke to parents, they were really helpful and supportive and it felt really nice. It felt really nice. <laughs> Well, it's it's amazing. Um, one of my roles early on in my career was a parent educator, and I know that um, the information you get from your parents is gold because it helps you. It helps you understand the children that you're teaching, the kids in your class. It gives you that that um, you know three way communication. You know, child, parent, teacher. That's that's just amazing stuff. And uh, often parents get a bit of a bad rap, don't they? You know, if someone goes, charges up and says, but this happened to my child. What I feel um, has happened, though, during the pandemic is we've got a bigger sense of a community together. Well, Even though you can't meet outside in the playground. Yeah. There's still, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I was, I'm, I'm hearing those stories from some of the schools I've been working in, you know. And Maurizio's just said, I'd love to see more retirees involved in schools. You know, we've got some untapped resources and it's about community. Yeah, that's lovely, but not during COVID. I would just like to say it's, it's, it's wonderful that everyone's getting terribly involved in students' learning. But I would also like to say that maybe this year is not the year oh, yeah. to put huge pressure on students to learn. Do you know what I mean? Like they're learning an enormous historical lesson. What's it like to live through a pandemic? You know, this is history in the making. It's an extraordinary yeah. And I keep thinking back to what happened in Christchurch when they had the earthquake there. And this story's been told a few times mm. that they couldn't do online learning. Everything was collapsed. The students uh, were out of school for something like six months yeah, in, that, um, in that city because there was no alternative. And you know what? Their results went up. Okay, fine. <laughs> Their results went up. And it's like Fancy. we don't understand the paradox of taking the hands off, yeah. of releasing the pressure on our students and saying to them, look, these are extraordinary times. If you don't get all your bloody schoolwork done, if you don't get all your study done, you know what? Who cares? Who cares? 
we're so wrapped up in achievement yeah. and competitiveness, we forget that learning has nothing to do with that. Yeah. And that would be a nice from COVID. Yeah. And keep it forever and go, we don't need all this stuff and we don't need to mark you against every little thing Rank and you. pump you full of information and make you give it back. We can just yeah. a little bit more space and a little bit more time and a little bit more fun and play and declutter, muck out, muck take, around. take out. We have and and fun, funnel in on what's at hand and enjoy that and see where it takes you. You know, you just made me think about um, overseas. You know, when we could take the kids overseas. And that whole debate, some people, no, 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 you wouldn't want to take your children out of school. They've got to have the structure, blah, blah, blah. But I just used to go, I know what I get from exploring a culture that's different to mine, looking at the history, looking at all the different things that are impacting language, um, food, learning, you know, how to even look, you know, live with your family when you're away, all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's a privileged aspect of what I was able to do um, with some of our kids. We, we had a big trip at one point. I had never been to Europe until 20. Now I think about it, yeah, to, uh, I think about 2000 was my first trip ever. Um, but we took our – and the learning they got, though, was priceless because it's, it's, it's generational, it's historical, it's – you know, it's looking at, well, how can they do it this way here? What's the difference between our... So I think that's the richness of of a different type of learning, yeah. They'd get learning, they'd get learning, they would have been at home with you too. You know, it's like... Yes. Going overseas is great and it's a lovely thing to do and you do get so much out of it. But I think when those arguments were made, they're like, oh, but they'll get so much out of this trip. It's like, yeah, but they would get so much out of just being at home with you too. So it's not that going overseas somehow makes it better. It's just different and you learn. Yes. Yeah. And so being at home with family and with parents, yeah, it was stressful for everybody. But I think certainly everybody has, everybody got something out of it. Students got something out of it, even if it was kind of not very nice. And obviously for some people it's worse than not very nice. Um, and that's why we had the schools open for school for students that needed them. Mm. Um, yes. A reminder, schools were never closed at any point. They were always open. And they still not closed. And they're still not closed. Um, That's it. Yeah. And, but I, I think sometimes we discount the things that you get and learn at home when you have time and when you have space. Um, but also they're not always nice. It's not always lovely. No, you know, sometimes, a great, you know, sometimes it's a the things fun. you learn are like, don't annoy mummy before coffee or oh. just <laughs> but you're talking about you're talking about social and emotional skills you're learning to read you read uh, the situation I mean all those things are what I was always passionate about learning not necessarily gold frogs and Captain Cook and that's a bit of a mantra that I use because it's sort of was always every year I'd wait for the project to come home and I'd go, surely, surely there's more. But work, being together, yeah, in all different circumstances um, and, and having to, to learn to negotiate all that, all that um, and, and learn to read the situations, that's critical for even, you know, how, you, how do you develop your relationships? Um, and I agree. 
I'm 63. My school day. What do I remember? I don't remember anything from the curriculum. I don't remember any of the things. Oh, I'm in the Pythagoras' theorem. I don't. (laughs) The only thing I remember, Polly, is a quote from King Lear, which I crammed for um, what they called in those days first level English in the HSC. How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. That's come in handy. That's the only thing I remember of the curriculum. What do I remember? I remember the teachers I loved who inspired me and made me love a book I was reading. I remember my friends and I'm still friends with many of them. I remember the relationships I made. I remember um, being astonished by um, some of the students that I I shared uh, my school with who had very different backgrounds and lives and socioeconomic situations than me. It was all of that that I got all days. In this very grad grind era, I did read my Dickens, my grad grind era, we have we have lost the the breadth of what education is really about and why I don't think schooling will ever be completely online and I certainly hope it isn't, because it is that contact and that relationship and that socialization that 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 recognition what I loved so much about my school was that I learned there that there are as many ways to live a good life as there are people's uh, lives I didn't learn you have to be one religion one class one gender one ability set color one yeah exactly none of that whereas mm, now we so are true. so segregated in our schooling yeah. you know we've chopped and diced our kids into all these different schools and I think that's such a loss because I learnt so much from the kids who were naughty and mucked up. I was with one of those. <laughs> um, those who studied hard, you know, those who had religious belief, those that didn't. I remember the Iranian girls. First Iranian refugees came to our school and they changed the whole school uniform because they were Muslim and they couldn't show their legs and it was the 70s and everyone had miniskirts. And for the first time we were allowed, us girls at Forest High were allowed to wear trousers because they had to cover their legs. I mean, that's an enormous gift for a lot more. (laughs) But we we adapted to to the needs of, of each other and I think that's... That's um, some of the beauty. Um, That's what I've got. I've got to take into the future. Yes, yeah. And look, Polly, I've got to say, your mum's just—I bet she's used that quote a uh, hundred times. <laughs> yeah. But, she, but I've just got to go back there because I have a daughter, the beautiful Cara, and she—you um, know, she's. Uh, people say to her, "I can't imagine you being." you know, awful to your mum. And she said, oh, I was absolutely shocking to my mum. And, <laughs> and so I just, I just love, I just smile now and I go, mm-hmm, I won't tell you the extent of it, but we, we've, we've developed a great relationship now. <laughs> but uh, it's part of it. And look, we've got comments here about, you know, it's, um, you know, I, uh, Stephen's saying, I can't imagine teachers viewing accountability or learning the same way again. And Alex going, look, it was, the, you know, the stressful component of COVID was being a teacher working from school each day, sending your kids to a different school and being stressed, thinking about how much work, you know, there was still to do after 5 p.m. 
So, you know, that even that in itself, I, I have never been a massive advocate of homework. Oh, as, no. because I believed like you that the the activities, the exercising, the the you know, the whatever it is we did together, whether it was a veg, whether it was a um, a sit around the table and chat and have afternoon tea, I thought those were far more important than um, you know, just just the homework. But that that's that's me and I know we have a, a variety of opinion around that. Um <laughs> Well, first of all, there's no evidence that it has any benefit to educational outcomes until after about year 10. So before that, it's all just to please, really, to be honest, and I am a parent, yeah. it's to please parents. Yeah. Parents ask for it, beg for it because they want to see their kids achieving. Also, sometimes I think they want something to tell their kids to go and do while they make the dinner. Um, <laughs> let's not watch TV. Uh, I can yeah. totally understand that. Um, I'm at the moment, <laughs> or a picture, which I assume is the equivalent to just do your homework. Um, the other thing that I think is really negative about it is, especially in our workplace culture across the board, is that what it does is it teaches kids to take work home. Yeah. It teaches kids that when your day's done, your work's not done. And how many people yeah. we know, everybody, who takes work home and works after the kids are in bed at 9pm and works a little bit on a Saturday and does email at midnight everybody and we're teaching kids to do that by sending them home with more work if it can't get done in the school day it doesn't need to get done it's just not that important yeah it's, it's so learning design learning design is really crucial to all this for, for the best learning outcomes isn't it yeah well what, to get eight hours to play right well they're at school like people say six hours but they're not it's not nine to three that they're there really they probably no. not. Mm. yeah there's commuting i want to count that in there that's not rest time or play time. They need time to just sit down and do, draw a picture. Yeah. Uh, you so know what else? Memories are of nineteen sixty sitcoms. I can still sing you yeah. the theme tune to the Patty Jeep show. Don't don't ask. Don't. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. they're good memories because they're they're all they're showing that you had you had it all rounded. You know whether it was. You know, we had two TV stations in, in Kumo. We, we didn't get the scope. <laughs> we, we weren't seen. When I was at school in the 60s and 70s in the boondocks of the North mm. Sydney, we, the attitude was not that we were little achievement machines. The, this whole idea that children have to be productive. Oh, it's adults too, always productive. Even your... Even your hobby time has to be productive. You can't just like sit down and flick on the TV or just like sit down and do okay. nothing for five hours. Yes, yeah. for five <laughs> hours. But you're not supposed to. You're supposed to like take up Ooh. or do Learn yoga French. or go for a walk or a run or hike. Take up hiking. It's like no, I'm just gonna sit down with a glass of wine and watch TV for five hours. That's what I'm gonna do. I regard it as a skill to be able to relax. She's very good at it. I am. It is a skill of mine. Um, but I, I do, and I've written 13 books, so it works. Um, but I do that we are taking from our children joy. Mm. I really worry about um, okay. the education system. It doesn't mean to. No. But I think it is taking joy from our children because... There is a culture, and I know that this is a very controversial view, <laughs> there is a culture of high expectations. Now, everything yeah. about life is 
high expectations are guaranteed to make you miserable. Sorry, but they are. Because if you have high expectations, you have a very small window in which you will be pleased with what you did. You have a very big window for being disappointed, for feeling bad about yourself. High expectations rob joy. You will not have a joyous life if you set high expectations for yourself. And yet that's what we're teaching our children. You need to set realistic expectations for yourself and forgive yourself when you don't reach them. It really doesn't oh a little achievement machine you're a human being you are allowed to have fun you are allowed to fail you're allowed to not always be productive for god's sake the way you make children productive it seems to me is you give them endless exams that's how you they produce an exam what a well i I think, well, I think you've landed on some of the key um, pieces of well-being that are now coming, like in the last the last uh, 10 years, the more and more evidence, more and more literature coming out around well-being and that notion of just sitting in silence, which in, like I can say, uh, I know my parents, they did not want us to sit and ponder anything. It was do, do, do. It had to be productive. I agree with you. And I now know here that some of your kids, um, I know, you know, getting them to sit still is actually really difficult because they're so used to reacting and being busy or being stimulated. You know, all the all the research around blue light, devices, all that sort of stuff. So the mindfulness techniques, sitting in silence, all that is now part of the curriculum where I would have thought that's actually a life skill. Yes. That 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 we learn from our family of origin or we learn from those around us or however. It's really hard and hurtful. Oh, I like yeah. To just sit and do it's not easy. Yeah. To try to think of nothing, you can think of whatever you like. That's fine. You can have this whole imaginative game. That's fine. You don't have to come back to your bloody breath every 10 seconds. You can just do whatever you See, like. Even set expectations. For sitting still. For sitting still in this stupid world in which we live. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly, and as soon as you make a part of the curriculum, in a funny yep. kind of way, you, you make it into work and you, you almost drain mm. the from it. But you also tell kids you don't trust them to be able to do it themselves. Yeah. You're like, oh, you couldn't possibly we know to how to well. do it. We have right. to teach you. And then we'll examine you on it. Pazzy Salberg has a, a, a mission to de to to take away the amount of things in the curriculum, take away the amount of face-to-face -face teaching in Australian schools. We have amongst the longest hours of face-to-face -face teaching yeah. and and learning. The students are over overstimulated and overworked. The teachers are overstimulated and overworked. The parents are over. Everybody's like, <gasps> and really. Said, let's just do four periods a day and then you can go and paint or you can make pots or play a musical instrument or just sit under a tree and read a book you know who cares i honestly well, like the price school where you can pick yeah. whatever you want the teachers are there if you want to learn pottery go down to the potter's what what are, wheel whatever they have over there ceramic <laughs> Uh, I get I get your point. I get your point, and I think I think you make it really well. And uh, we need we've we've got an opportunity to look at things a little bit differently. We we now probably know what we want to keep, what we value, 
And we want, we actually do want our kids to enjoy what they're doing, not because the rates of anxiety are through the roof. Mental health issues, just, and that I would say, it's, I often go and talk to schools and I'll hear them talking about high expectations is a really good thing. And then they'll start talking to me about the level of anxiety and depression. I think yeah. all those two things might be connected because they are. Well, they're going like this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I've um, I've enjoyed our conversation tonight, and we've we've got a few things for for people to think about. Really, um, uh, you know, I uh, I ended up doing lots of Zoom and reading stories to the grandkids over, and that was basically because I thought I can just imagine four little people running around the house all day, you know, and um, you know if if there's a way to give someone a break, <laughs> but. That, We've all come up with different ways to support each other and I'm extremely grateful for um, for our teachers. They have been at the coalface yep. all, all the year with the extra. So um, I, um, I really do believe that they probably, when they were trained, they probably didn't expect this to be the way it was going to turn out. Uh, so I, I believe we've got to get, be part of the conversation to to actually try and make the difference. Uh, we, you know, we have to. We we have a capitalised society. We need to have have some income in. I understand that, but we also need to be able to put our foot forward. Take up that responsibility, Jane. You talked about earlier, and Polly, our responsibility to make learning enjoyable. Okay. To be everyone, everyone, not I'm just our kids. Always fathers and. Best thing a man can do for his children is love their mother, which I really like. And I've often thought that the best thing a community can do for their students is love their teachers. If you support <laughs> teachers, they will then have the energy, the enthusiasm, the joy, the fun, the excitement and the creativity to support the students. If you punish and, and are cruel to and demanding of your teachers and make them miserable, and undermine them and make them, you know, lose uh, their morale, you're damaging your students. It's stupid. Well, we have the answers between us all. You know, not, not none of us have got the perfect answer, but together we are great. And um, I'm I'm very appreciative. Alex has just um, has just made a comment about the year 12s this year. No formals, no graduation, no carnivals, but, you know, but have fun at that HSC. And um. It's, it's definitely different, definitely a different year. Thanks for a wonderful conversation, ladies, she's saying. Um, I know, Alex, so it's great to have you on board, Alex. Thanks very much for, for being part of it tonight. Um, look, Jane and Polly, if anyone would like to contact you, you're very easy to find, aren't you? So I'm on Twitter, Twitter. almost all the time. She really is all, actually all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. We've got an instant in with Twitter. And the great thing is you don't have a funny name. It's J at Jane Caro and it's at Polly Dunning, yeah? So that's uh, that's been beautiful. So I, I want to thank you both for your time tonight. I know there's other things, Jane, you could be doing, like relaxing and being restful and mindful. I <laughs> Good on you. Like... <laughs> I know. I usually say at the beginning of this, get get whatever drink it is that you have, uh, your drop of choice. 
Polly, good luck with those two wee ones of yours. Um, I think they're luck. They're so privileged to be brought up um, with um, such an open, creative, passionate mind about parenting and about your role in education as, as an educator as well. And uh, I, I want to thank you both for having us. And listeners, if you'd like to know more about what I do, uh, Carrie Benedett, easy find, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, all the all the usual socials. Uh, very happy to have a conversation with you if you'd like to to uh, just have a chat and uh, let's see what it is that really gets you thriving in your life and work. So next um, session will be next Tuesday night as usual. So that's all for us from this week from Thriving Matters Studio. So thank you once again, Jane, and thank you once again, Polly. Cheers. Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.